scripture passage we are looking today, we're still in the, uh, we're working through the book of Colossians, or Paul's, rather Paul's letter through Colossians, and, and in this book Paul talks a lot about salvation, about the fruits of salvation, and all that really happens, a true depth of what happened when Christ really saved us. So we're going to continue with that today, looking at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Uh, before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and gracious Father, Lord, we come today before your holy word, uh, lurking to learn from you, Lord, that we may be taught by your Holy Spirit and by the word that you have given us, Lord, written by the prophets and the apostles, Lord, preserved through the ages and passed down to us that we might know your good and perfect will for us. Father, breathe that Holy Spirit upon us now, Lord, upon our hearts and minds that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Listen now to the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So anybody here ever seen uh, the show The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? Anybody seen that show? Now, just, just to let you know, I've never seen it. Okay, I don't watch it. I'm not judging. It's okay. I just want you to know that I've never watched it. Okay, it's very important that you know that I've never seen the show. But I know what it's about. If you, if you have not seen The Bachelor or, or, or it's the other incarnation, The Bachelorette, is, is a show where, uh, where you got one person, either guy or girl, and then they get to pick from like 10, 10 people, right? And they've got they're like this contest. They spend time with them, and then they have this little ceremony at the end, and they, and they start to weed them out one at a time until there's only two left. And then The Bachelor or Bachelorette, as it may be, finally makes his or her final choice. And, and I think they, they get married at the end, don't they? Are they supposed to get married or something? Oh, they don't? Oh, well, <laughs> well, I told you I didn't watch it. Really, I don't. Oh, all right. So we got family connections here. Well, the whole idea is you, is you wheel them down and you get to pick one less. So you, you, got, the con, you got the concept. Right, you got the concept of the bachelor. And I want to give you a scenario. I want you to imagine that you're in the show, right? That you're single, you're in the show. And you're down to your last two contestants, okay? And you got to pick between one of these two people. Now, I want you to imagine, okay, contestant number one. You got contestant number one. And, and, and ladies, I want you to imagine in your minds the perfect guy. The perfect guy. And, 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 and guys, I want you to imagine that if you're there, that you're imagining that you're a perfect girl, perfect woman, okay? So first of all, this person, they're, they're, they're good looking, great looking, all right? And they're smart, they're funny, they, you, 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 they, 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 they do all, say all the right things, they do the right things, they, they, they got money, and they love to share the money, okay? And like I said, they do everything right, they say everything right, they, they, they're, they're, they support you, they will encourage you. Anytime you ask them to do something, they'll do it, and they won't complain at all. Just, yes, dear, what would you like me to do? Of course, dear, let me do that for you. There's one catch, though. One catch. The contestant one doesn't like you. They don't like you, and they certainly don't love you. Now, I'm going to stretch the scenario a little bit here, okay? Let's say this person is never going to let you know that they don't like you or they don't love you. They'll never say it. They'll always act in just the ways I described, always be encouraging and supportive and giving you lots of their money and always be great looking and funny. But you're going to know, you're going to know your whole life that this person doesn't love you and doesn't even like you. So now, then you got bachelor or bachelorette number two, the second, second contestant number two. Now this person's a little, got, got feet of clay, let's say, right? I mean, they, they look okay, not, not as good as number one, but they look okay. They're not bad. They're a nice enough person, but they've got plenty of flaws. You know, they're going to they're gonna fight with you a little bit. They're going to borrow money from you from time to time, right? They're, uh, they're going to be selfish. Sometimes they'll act like a jerk. Sometimes they'll, they'll fight with you a little bit too much. Sometimes they may even drink too much. They have a tendency to be loud when they get upset. But there's another catch to contestant number two. This person really loves you. I mean, they adore you. 
They love you with their whole heart and their whole soul. The sun rises and sets upon you. I mean, they just think that you are the, the finest, best person they've ever met, and they love you, and they will love you for the rest of your life. So you've got one rose. You want a person to pick, contestant one or two. Which one would you pick? This is obviously a no-brainer, right? You pick the one with the money, right? No, <laughs> I'm joking. It is a no-brainer, right? You're going to pick the one that loves you. I mean, every time you're going to pick the one that loves you. You should pick the one that loves you. Because you'll know no matter what all the benefits the other one has, no matter how great the other one is, and, and just even how they act towards you, you're going to know their heart's not in it. And no matter how great your life might be, no matter how great everything else might be with them, you're going to know that this person doesn't love you. And there's going to be a coldness between you your whole life long. You go with the one that loves you. So I want to put this in a, in a theological framework for you. What kind of person does God want you to be? What kind of person does God want of you? Does he want us to be like contestant number one? We always do the right things. We always say the right things. We're always obedient. We're always following his law faithfully. But we hate what we do. We hate following God's commands. And there's even a part of us that doesn't even like God a whole lot. Or would he prefer us to be more like contestant two? Somebody that stumbles, somebody that falls every now and then. Someone who certainly doesn't do everything perfect, but at the same time, loves the Lord with their heart. This one's a no-brainer also. Rather than have us be people who are perfect all the time, but have no heart in it, God would rather us be the person whose heart is in it even if our actions, well, if our actions always haven't quite caught up. This is the kind of person God longs us to be from the moment that he saved us. And so we've been talking about salvation a lot these last few weeks, about what happens and what all that goes into this process of salvation, the true depth of what God really did for us when he saved us. And today we're going to talk about an aspect that I think is the most important. And it's even more important in its own way than God taking us out of hell and, and securing us in paradise forever. And see, we, we've talked a lot about what God has done, and, and all of it has been, it's, it's been things that have happened to us. Things that God has done for us and things that God has done to us. He's like taking us out of dark and he's putting us into light. He's, he's taking us out of death and he's put us into life. He's taken out of a place where we've been enemies of God, and he's put us in a place where we can be friends and children of God again. And like I said, all these things are things that have been done to us. But today we're talking about something that God has done in us. And what he's done is he's taking us from being a sinner, and he's made us into saints. And this is not just something he's done to us. This is something that he has worked in us. This is something he's done to transform us, taking us from sinners and making us into saints. He is changing who we are. He's changing that part of us that God has longed for and has wanted from the very beginning. And that's your heart. 
has always desired your heart. So when we get uh, in our religious life, and, and, and we study and we get into the Bible and our devotions, it, it, it's so easy for us to get stuck into the actions that God wants us. Get into these actions, the things he wants us to do and the things he doesn't want us to do. And, and we can, we, you, you come by it pretty honestly, though. I mean, you really do, because the Bible is full of these things we're supposed to do and not do. Do these things and don't do these things. Refrain from this, go do this. Thou shalt do this, and thou shalt not do that. All these actions, all these behaviors, and, and, and don't get me wrong, they're important. And they play a key role, and we'll, and we'll get to that later, but see, this is not really what God is getting at. God is not, from the very beginning, he's not looking to just change our behaviors. He's not looking to change our pattern of speech. He's not looking just to change how we dress, and in many ways, even how we act. What God has been getting at from the beginning is transformation. Is to change you from the inside out. To change who you are. To change your heart. We talk a lot about the church being the bride of Christ. And just like us getting married to a person, we don't want to get married to a person who just on the outside does all the right things, but on the inside has got no heart for us at all. And so in the same way, the bride that Christ is looking for is not the one that just does everything perfect on the outside but has no heart at all. Christ, he, he's looking for the bride that, yes, may be human, messes up a bit. The one that has a heart of love. Even one that may wander away from time to time, but because, because her heart is with her Savior and her Lord is always going to come back again. So we look at Colossians today, and I was looking at this, you know, we, we've got another big list that Paul gives us here. Things we're supposed to do and things we're not supposed to do. Things we're supposed to avoid and things we're supposed to embrace. He starts in verse 1 like this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are earth. So these are the things that are above, the things that are Christ, the righteous way that righteous people act. Set your mind on these things. Don't set your mind on the earthly things. Don't set your mind on the base things. Seek the things of God, not the things of the world. And in case there's any confusion, Paul goes to list off some of both of those. The earthly things he talks about, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness and then he goes on later anger wrath malice slander obscene talk lies he tells us the, the wrath of God is stored up over these things so, so not only is God angry about them he, he says he's storing up his wrath he's not getting showing us his anger right now this wrath is being stored up later to be executed later to be shown at another date but because of the wrath of God is being stored up, Paul says, put, this is your old life. Put it away. Put all of its stuff away from you because you have now been called to a new life and a new way of living. And he describes this life for us as well. Compassionate hearts, kindness, 
humility, meekness, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, having a heart full of thankfulness. This is the new way that God has called us to live. This is the way that he has called us, and this is the way of our transformation. Now, now we look at this, and immediately we're, we're tempted to go back to contestant number one type. I mean, God's called us to do these things. He's called us to act in this way. He wouldn't ask us to do it if it wasn't important. If this isn't what God was looking for out of us, then why would he ask us to do these things in the first place? So maybe, maybe yeah, he is looking for that contestant number one because, I mean, he's asking us to do this after all. And that is true. God is asking us to do all these things. He's commanding us to do all these things. These are the marks of the new life. Refrain from what is evil and do what is good. But what he's not looking for is rote obedience. What he's not looking for is lip service. What he's not looking for is for us to just do those things because we think, well, well, this is God, what, what he wants us to do. That's not what I really want to do. He wants to get us to a place where we do want to do those things, where we hate those things he told us not to do, and we love doing those things that he does want us to do. This is what he says in verse 10. He says, not only put on the new self, which he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed, but look how it was being renewed. In the knowledge after the image of its creator. Saying you're being renewed not just to new behavior, you're being renewed into the image of your creator. Being renewed in the image of God. Being renewed in the image of Christ. Not a person who just does these things because you're supposed to do them, but a person whose heart has changed to be just like the heart of God. That's what Christ has been looking for us this whole time. That's what he's been working in us this whole time. He's wanting a change of heart in us. It's just like the Lenten response that we're going to sing here in a few minutes. We, 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 we change our offertory response every Lenten. For these few weeks, we're going to say the same thing. And it's based on a psalm written by King David. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. All these acts, right, all this stuff that we do, right, the goal is not to show God how good we are. The goal is not to show God how well we can do all the right things. And The goal is to help us change our hearts. The goal is to help us change, well, change who we are. Have you ever tried to kick a bad habit? Anybody here ever, ever wrestled with a bad habit? Try to kick it? You know why bad habits are so hard to break? Because if a part of us still wants that habit. Because every time we try to, try to break a bad habit, we stand in a place of conflict where we're being torn in two. A part of us wants to go to that new habit and that new way of life. But oh man, a part of us, oh yeah, a part of us still loves that old way we were living. And that's true with any habit. 
I mean, even something like smoking, and everybody knows you shouldn't smoke. Everybody, they told us it's, you know, it, it makes your clothes stink, you get cancer. It's, it's an awful habit, but it's hard to break, you know, because there is that part of us that wants the clean air, wants the clean lungs, wants all that good stuff, but man, there's a part of us that wants to just not care and keep smoking. And that's true if you're trying to quit drinking. It's true if you're trying to quit drugs. It's trying to true if you're trying to quit a behavior. It's true if you're trying to change your diet or exercise. It's even true if you're trying to kick a person in your life who you know at the end of the day is just a bad habit. There's a part of you that wants what is good, and there's a part of you that wants to keep crawling back to what you know is bad for you. You see, sometimes it takes a while for the heart to catch up. Sometimes you have to make yourself do a new habit until your heart catches up enough where you want what is good for you 100%. Some people like to say, well, you got to fake it till you make it. And that's kind of true. Not 100%. But it is kind of true, but something's got to be real in there. You can't completely fake it. Something's got to be real in there. Something that has to want change. Something in you has got to want to live better. Otherwise, it's all fake. Let me tell you, God is not crazy about fake. He is not a fan of us being fake. But see, this is what good works and obedience can do for us. It's not going to save you. It's not going to even make you a better person. But this is how we practice becoming better until our heart catches up all the way. This is how we get to partner with Jesus. We get to partner with the Holy Spirit. Every time we live by faith, every time we go out and live by obedience, we're partnering with him. We're working in him as he is working this great work in us. We're partnering with Jesus and we're working with the Holy Spirit as he is renewing us into the image of our creator. And yes, sometimes we're conflicted about that. Really, we are. Sometimes we're going to act like jerks. Sometimes we're going to be selfish because our heart's not there yet. At least not all the way. But see, the heart... That's what he's really looking for. I think it says it all in, in verse 14. Look down in that minute, verse 14, what Paul says. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He says, above all this, above everything I've told you, Chief, of all these things I've told you, more important than everything that I've said to you so far, put on love. Because that's what works more than anything else. You see what I mean? It's your heart that he's after. It's your heart that he's always been after. That's why Paul in, in Corinthians, when he, when he gives his great sermon on love, Corinthians 13, he says, all these things we do, they're worthless without love. He says, I could, I could say all the right things. I could prophesy, and I could give praise to God. But if I didn't have love, he says, that is nothing but a noisy gong. It's just a clanging cymbal. 
And he says, I could do mighty works. I could do works so great that I can move mountains in the name of God and have perfect faith. But if I don't have love, it's all going to be worthless. Because his heart is what he's after. Your heart is what he's after. That's why God, in the greatest command, Christ said, the greatest command he gave is that of all those things that God commanded us, the chief command is to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, and to love your neighbor just like yourself. Because from the very beginning, what he's been after to see in you is a change of heart. And that's why here in Colossians, after all these things he tells us to do, to refrain from and to not do, top of this list is to put on love. Because if your heart's not being changed, then nothing's happening with you at all. It's the greatest work of salvation. It's the work that God is doing in you today. He's changing you. And he's transforming you and shaping you into his image. He's taken this sinner the sinner who really loved doing the way things he was doing before. He's making a whole new person with a whole new desire, with a whole new heart that just wants to love God, to love his neighbor. He's given us this new heart that wants to put away anger. It wants to put away malice. It wants to stop with greed. It wants to stop with the sexual immorality. And he's, he's given this new heart that wants to take up kindness. It wants to be humble. It wants to forgive. It wants to have compassion. See, he's taken this old, broken, sinner heart. And he's making the heart of a saint. Yeah, I know it might not be a perfect heart. But if it's an open heart, if it's a willing heart, well, that's the only kind that he can work with. And by his grace and by his mercy, day by day, moment by moment, he's going to make it into just the kind of heart that he wants. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.